God is that we, uh, we wrestled with the fact that Paul said that we should take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we should pray at all times uh, in, in all circumstances uh, with all supplications, prayers and supplications, uh, with all endurance, we should pray for all the saints. So he used that word all four times, and we started the subject of prayer, and it's something that I've talked about before, and of, of course it's something I've talked about before because we're in church, but it's also something that has become increasingly uh, obvious to me that we can grow, and that I can grow. And again, I just want to say this up front, of uh, some of the things that will be talking about that we have been talking about, we'll talk about uh, regarding prayer is something that I am thinking about for myself. So you're just going to get the benefit of, of hearing about those things. And perhaps you will be uh, like Trent and you'll say, you know, I'm doing really good. And then maybe you'll find out you're not. Or perhaps you'll actually be doing pretty good in your life. I'm fairly confident, actually not even fairly, I, I know that uh, there's people here in this church that uh, are better not that we're ranking these things, but are better at praying than I am, that are more committed to prayer than I am. And I'm grateful for that, but I'm also realizing that that's not, that's not where I want to be. So I told you back then when I went through that sermon on prayer in Ephesians, I said, it's a hard subject to get through because it's so big. It's so vast. It has so many entrances and exits. It has so many things that are part of it. It has so many strands that as you pull, it's going to go all the way through. And suddenly you're like, well, I got to come here, but I got to get here first. And, and so today is no different. We're just going to take one more glimpse from a different angle. And the sermon is not going to be like what I typically preach. In other words, uh, I, I love to sort of look at a passage of Scripture and sort of just walk through that text, say right in those couple of verses, and just break it open. That's not what we're going to do today. We're going to take a very high-level view of the role of prayer when the church was being started and was started from the book of Acts. I'm going to try, it's not really meant to be a joke, so don't laugh. I'm going to try to not make a lot of comments about it. I'm going to let, just walk through and help you to see where the church, when the church prayed. I would like to say we should also pay attention to the things that aren't mentioned, because I think some of the big things that we would just automatically think they were praying for are not mentioned, and I don't think that means they weren't. I think it means it just wasn't worth mentioning because it's so obvious that they were praying, especially given some of the things that they did pray about and reasons they saw for praying. Now, I want to remind you before we jump in that there's two words that I brought to us Turn my clicker on first. There's two words that are brought to us when we talk about prayer because it's the two different words that are used in Scripture in the New Testament for prayer. The first was the word prosuke, which is the Greek word, which does mean prayer, but it has this aspect or idea of worship with it as well. And then there's the word deesis, which is a petition or a begging of God. So I suggested to us when I did that message a couple of weeks ago, uh, I suggested to us that that's really what this prayer relationship with God is about, is there's two different things that are happening Two other different things that ought to be happening. We are worshiping God when we pray, we ought to be, and we are depending upon God when we pray, we ought to be. In other words, that verse that Paul said that we are to take every occasion, that all circumstances to pray with all prayers and supplications is to say that we should find a way to make any and every opportunity an opportunity for us to either worship God or depend upon Him. Quite likely two at the same time but certainly at all times. In other words, you're not always in a position where you have something you need, right? You're not always in a place where like, like God, I desperately need you when we might think of like a petition. But you are in a place where you can constantly be thanking the Lord and worshiping him, aren't you? 
You're always in a place where there's something, if you were to open your eyes and look around, there's something, some evidence of who God is and what he's done for you and some good thing in your life, even in some of the most difficult circumstances, right? As we're going to find out, actually, the word prosuke for worship prayer is actually used in some of the most difficult circumstances in the book of Acts. Not the petition word, but the other word, the, the worship word. Anyway, so we're going to keep our eyes open as we walk through this. I'm asking you to keep your eyes open as we walk through this. Where they are worshiping God and where they, where they are depending upon God. And again, most likely both of them. Now, if to help you, because I'm, we're just going to kind of move through. If you have a bulletin today, on the back side of the bulletin is my handout, although there's not much... I mean, you can take notes on there. It's really just all the places we're going to go. And by the way, I already discovered one in reading after I had the message all put together, uh, reading through the book of Acts again, uh, and I discovered a place that I missed this. I'm only pulling out where it specifically said they're praying. So in other words, there's lots of times they're praying otherwise that we know from the situation. But it specifically says, here's what they were doing. All right, let's jump in without further ado. We see the followers of Jesus praying in these circumstances. We're just going to be flipping through the book of Acts, and I gave them some references or some frames. You could get, pick some different frameworks to put that in, but I see that when Jesus said, I'm going to go to heaven, and the Holy Spirit's going to come, but you should wait for him to come, that while they're waiting, we read these words. They were praying. It says in chapter 1, verse 14, that all these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were devoting themselves to prayer. That's what they were doing. They thought it was worthwhile, and then said, while well, they were waiting, they weren't just going to go sit there and do nothing, or they weren't just going to go do their normal stuff. They, weren't just, they were going to devote themselves to prayer. Now, the other piece I've been missing as I say that is you also see that they were of one accord when they did that. And I find it right off the get-go, right from the very beginning, I find that there's a really important truth about prayer that's, I think, really key or critical for us, is prayer does something within a group of people. It unites them. It brings them to the same place. You know, it's really difficult to have uh, bad thoughts or have ill will towards someone when you're praying with them, if you're praying sincerely. I did think as I went through this, I thought, you know, it's interesting when I think about how we pray sometimes, how I pray sometimes, and how we pray, the prayers I hear, and the prayers for myself and others. It's interesting that we are sometimes able or willing to, um, I don't know how else to say it, to weaponize our prayers. Like we're praying with a group of people and we pray something specifically that we think they need to know. And I think we just should recognize that that's us trying to be the Holy Spirit. And it's probably not a good idea. But when prayer was done in this circumstance and when prayer is done in our circumstance, in our context, then prayer brings, it unites people. It, it ties them together. It doesn't mean that we all think the exact same thing because you know that's not going to be true. But it unites us. Again, it's very difficult if you will sincerely pray with a brother or sister or a group of brothers and sisters, it's really difficult to like think evil things of them or to dislike them. 
They were together with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer. So while they were waiting, and in that waiting time, they decided that they should pick someone to take Judas Iscariot's place because he had betrayed Jesus, he had already died, and they needed someone to fill the gap there. And so they, uh, they were together. And again, it does not specifically say they prayed on, on which two men to set before them, but I'm pretty sure they did because then we see that when they had those two men, we see that they prayed and they said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen. So I see that when decisions were being made by these people, by the followers of Jesus, when decisions were being made, they said we should pray, which is what we should do as well. And we do that, right? When we try to make decisions, we pray. We ought to be praying. That's what should happen. And I love that they acknowledged, you, God, you know the hearts. You know the hearts of people. You know what should be done and who should be doing what. You know the hearts. By the way, that's implying that you also know our hearts right? The ones doing the praying. You know. Would you show? This is a prayer of worship. God, you're sovereign, but also prayer of dependence, right? Because we need you to show us something. We need you to make clear the path. Now we read, of course, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit does fall on them. Wonderful things happen. By the way, I, again, just point out to you, Peter preaches a sermon. It does not say anywhere that Peter prayed, but I'm Fairly confident that there was this, uh, what Kermit was calling this background conversation going on with Peter, if nothing else, the background conversation going on with Peter and God as he was praying this message under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was actually his connection. That was where he was getting his words. I don't know how you also want to say that. Maybe you don't want to say he was praying. That may seem kind of weird, but he, I mean, that may not fit the situation because you might think of prayer like this, but I suggest we maybe shouldn't think of prayer like that all the time. That prayer is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us and this connection we have with God. So this happens, and at the end of chapter 2, we get this incredible picture of what the church was like. And Mike Baker, who was here last week, actually shared these verses, so I don't need to spend any time with him. But here's the verse I want to bring to you, because this is what they were doing. This is a description of what the early church was doing as as they were developing. You know this verse. I hope you know this verse, but I'll just point it out to you again. They devoted, again, they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I want to point out to you, um, I'm not sure why the ESV does this. When you look at the original Greek, there's not an article in front of prayers, so it's not the prayers. It just is prayers or praying. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship with each other. They were devoted to having communion, celebrating what Jesus did for them. And as Paul would later say, when you do that, you're pointing toward his return. So they were already awaiting his return, and they were praying. So I just say this is what the church did as life together. This is how the church lived life together. They, they were hearing the teaching. They were, for us today, we would say they were reading the Bible. They were in the Word together. Uh, they were having fellowship with each other. They were celebrating communion. They were remembering what Jesus had done. They were pointing to what Jesus returned, and they were praying. That's something that they were doing. Now, it didn't take very long for this, this uh, newfound church to, to sort of spread and grow and begin to cause some problems for the Jewish leaders. You must imagine, of course, that they thought they had dealt with the problem because they took care of Jesus, right? But unfortunately for them, fortunately for us, Jesus didn't stay in the grave, did he? Which meant when he came out and they saw him and they waited and the Holy Spirit fell and God began to work mightily, the church was planted, and immediately these same people that put Jesus to death had a problem again. And so opposition arises. They don't like when Peter and John are walking around. They don't like when they're healing people. They definitely don't like when they're preaching in Jesus' name. So they tell them, you have to stop. Now, I think this is pretty critical. 
they're faced with opposition. The church is now faced with opposition. There's someone directly telling them, you have to stop. And I want you to see the church's response. I'm actually going to read out of here because, uh, because I want to read more than just one verse. I'm going to put the first part of the verse up there. But it says that when Peter and John were released, they came back and told their friends, they told their fellow believers uh, what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And it says this, when they heard it, when the church heard it, they lifted their voices together. That's prayer. Now, they doesn't use the word prayer, but that's what they were doing. They lifted their voices together to God, and they said, this is their prayer, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, I could have chosen to preach an entire message instructing us on prayer from this text because I think there's like textbook stuff in here about prayer. We're not going to do that. Maybe some point we will yet. But I want to briefly point out to you that there is worship here, right? There's praise. There's, there's a drawing attention to who God is. God is sovereign. He made, he's the creator of everything we see. And there's attention to drawing back to Scripture, right? I talked about at the end of our Ephesians message how Scripture is so important in prayer because we know it's the will of God. There's no doubt. We know it's the will of God. It's his inspired word. And so they go back to scripture and they say, here's what we read about you and what we read about the people and what we saw then unfold right in front of our very eyes. That everybody was against your servant Jesus whom you anointed. But then they also depend on God, right? They cry out and they have a request. However, is the request what you think you would pray in that situation? Do you think that's what would come out of your mouth? If someone came and and someone came back in and said, yeah, we just, were, uh, we just were sent back from jail and they told us sternly, you guys have got to stop preaching in Jesus' name. What kind of prayer do you think you would ask, ask for? What things would come out of your mouth? It's hard, right? Because you're in church and you know what the answer should be. But it's hard because you actually know what the answer quite likely might be. Isn't it interesting that here's what they basically say. God, you pay attention to what's happening with them. That's your business. That's not ours. You t- you, that's what they say, right? You look upon their threats. They don't even say make them stop. They don't say you're the just God. You have them pay for while they're standing against you because they are standing against God. He doesn't say that. They don't pray that. They say God, you look upon their threats, but here's what we're asking for you to do. We want you to make us bold so that we would not be quiet. And by the way, when we do that, when we open our mouth, can we just ask you to just attend to those things and, and give, give weight to the things we're saying to not leave us in a lurch to come there with us, be there with us, like show yourself powerful. Now, the result, if you would read in verse 31, says that the place they were in was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness so God answered their prayer. We have to keep on going. 
Shortly after that, they faced some more opposition, but this time not from the outside, this time from the inside, right? As the church began to grow in chapter 6, we read that there was some, some division within the church because they were, they, were, they were helping people, they were being kind, they were, they were uh, uh, providing a daily ration of food for the widows, and there was some discrepancy, at least according to what they said, there was some discrepancy as to how the Grecian Jews, those who were not like, like by heritage Jews, but those who were converts to Judaism, how they were being treated. And so there was some complaining about that. And the, the disciples, the apostles, the leaders of the church said, hey, this is not our department. We are supposed to pray and teach the word. That's what we're supposed to do. And so you pick, let's pick some men out who are, have, are full of the Holy Spirit, have good report about them, good reputation, and let's have them take care of that. So they do that. And as they commission them to service, by the way, do you think they prayed during that whole situation where they're picking men? Do you think they prayed? Come on. Are you awake? Yeah, they prayed. Does it say they prayed? We don't read it directly, but I'm pretty sure they were praying. They didn't just decide, ah, you know what? That guy's pretty good. Let's, let's pick him. I think they were seeking the Lord. I think the evidence was already laid as they came back to, the, to picking the, uh, Judas's replacement. But what it does say they prayed is as they found these men, as they set them before the apostles, the apostles, it says they set them before the apostles, and the apostles prayed and laid their hands on them. So we see the church praying to commission people. We see the church praying to say, here's a, something God has called you to, and we want to release you to do it. Now, we do this in some very formalize in uh, ways. We're going to do it not too long from now when we, uh, when we install a deacon here. So we think that's actually this case here as well. But we, so we do that. But I'm actually intrigued by this idea of how it might happen more and on much less official context, right? Like what would happen if, if you were sharing with one of your cello, fellow church people and they would say, man, God has been laying my neighbor on my heart. And I think this week I'm going to make an attempt to go, uh, to go like talk to them about about who Jesus is, or just, talk, just uh, whatever the what would happen if you would just say, hey, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you that God would speak powerfully through you. As time goes on, we see right away that Stephen, one of the men they chose to be a deacon, is not just a guy who's serving tables, because he himself is a man full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. He's refuting all kinds. He gets in all these discussions, and no one can, can uh, win the argument against him. No one can, can stand against him, which, again, makes it not very nice for him. And so he gives this great grand speech as he's brought in front of the leaders. And at the end of that, they are so angered at him that they pick up stones, and they take him outside, and they kill him. And so we see prayer happening as they are facing death. Right at the very last part of chapter 7 of Acts, if, we, if you're kind of flipping through your Bible here now, at the very last uh, verses there, as Stephen is being stoned, as the stones are being hurled at him, and he is, his life is slipping away, he cries out, and this is a prayer of dependence, this is a prayer of worship, I would tell you. He cries out, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, I put that verse up here, but the very next verse is also prayer because he says he cried out again with a loud voice and he fell on his knees. And this time he says something very different, doesn't he? What does he say? Do you know what he says? You have your Bibles open, but just what does he say? He said, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Once again, I told you I'm going to not do as much of this as I can. But, but can I just suggest to you that, like, particularly in this instance, this is a really, I mean, this is a totally non-instructive situation, I would say, in, in Scripture. It's just unfolding. But yet, it becomes instructive to us. Think of what he just did. And when, you're, when you're facing death, look at what he just did. He entrusted his spirit to Jesus, and he forgave all those that, he, that might have wronged him. Man, 
Isn't that exactly what every one of us ought to do? Isn't that really kind of the place where we should live? But if we're facing death, I'm telling you, it's these two things that better be taken care of, right? Jesus, I'm entrusting myself to you. And by the way, I want to forgive anybody who's done anything to me. I don't want you to hold it against them, God. Well, we got to keep on going. We see that right after that, as Saul is ravaging the church, the church gets spread and people go out. We see that there's this interesting scenario where the Samaritans begin to hear the word of God. And so Peter and John go investigate. And while they're there, it says that while Peter and John, uh, they went, they came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. A very interesting scenario where they prayed, they laid their hands on them so that the Holy Spirit would come. And that's actually what happens. So I think it's appropriate for us to we willing to do that. Now, I want to just make a quick comment about that, though, because I think sometimes people get a little squirrely about these things, and they start making, like, practice out of it and say, well, you have to have this happen. I'd like to point out to you, and I'm not going to take time to go there, but there's at least three specific, clear references in the book of Acts where God does things in different order. It's not like where they get saved, and then you have to have someone come, and they lay hands on them, and then the Holy Spirit fills them, like in this scenario. Because in one sense, in, one, in, in other, in other contexts, it happens simultaneously. Actually, in one context, the Holy Spirit comes before there's really the, 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 at least the written out confession of faith. It's the other order. So let's be careful about that. But can I make one other suggestion for us? As I was reading through this, I thought of the application for us who are raising our children in the church. Because this phrase was, it jumped out at me. It says that then they heard that the people in Samaria had received the word of God. So they'd heard it and they were like, yeah. But then there was this, this, this step taken to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, you know, when we raise our children in the church, which we ought to, by the way, when we raise them in the church and they go to Sunday school and they know so much of Scripture and they hear all these things, sometimes the biggest hurdle is that we assume that they are saved when they're not. We assume they have the Holy Spirit in them when they may not. They may just know a lot about what the Bible teaches. And I thought, how would it change if we, if me as a dad and we as parents, if we would be a little more intentional that when we see our children receiving the Word of God, that we would pray that the Holy Spirit would fill them. You know what happens right after that? Simon the sorcerer saw that that happened when they, the Holy Spirit came. And he's like, I'll pay you money. I want that too. And Peter rebukes him sharply and says, this is not good. And we see that Simon recognizes, oh, I don't want God to be against me. And he asked them to pray. Simon answered them and says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So I see that prayer is used as an intercession. Here's a man saying, pray for me because I've done something wrong. And I don't want God to punish me. I, want, I don't want God to hold it against me. Can you pray for me? Once again, this takes two sides, right? It takes people willing to pray for other people within the body. It also takes people willing to say, I need that prayer. I have put myself in a place where God is not real happy with me, and I've realized that, and I want to repent of that, and I need you to pray for me. Please. We see prayer happening in intercession. Now, here's the one I missed because we have the conversion of Saul, and I just happened to be reading through this for something else, and I thought, oh, Merlin, you missed one, because when God comes and says to Ananias that he's supposed to go see this guy named Saul and pray for him, he says, 
that there is a man who is praying. So Saul, when he was blind for three days, not eating, he's fasting and he's praying. It specifically said, I actually, in my notes and for the sermon here, I skipped over it, but now that you know that happened in there, because I see that as Peter's going about, we have a few other instances where there's some kind of healings going on and we have the death of Dorcas. A little story just stuck in there and Dorcas is well loved by, by her neighbors and by the people around her. They, they were very sad when she passed away. They show Peter all the things that she did for them, the blankets she made. And scripture is very clear. Peter says that Peter put them all outside and he knelt down and he prayed and then he turned to the body and he said, Tabitha, arise. So we see that prayer is used for supernatural help, right? Now prayer is used for all kinds of help. Please understand this. It may not be, you may not sense or feel that's supernatural, but we, we depend upon God for all kinds of things and we ask for his help in all kinds of ways. But I would hope that we're, not, that we're not against also recognizing that God can do some things that are beyond what we could ever think of might happen. A supernatural help. Doesn't have to be raising from the dead. I mean, it could be, but it doesn't have to be. There's all kinds of other ways. We've got to keep on going. This is going to be high level, hitting a lot of points. I hope you take this list with you because I'm hoping that we can spend more time with this later down the road as we see all the ways that the church was praying. And it's happening. You're going to see a lot. You saw lots of ways already, right? What are we, about halfway down the list? Maybe a little past that? In chapter 10 of Acts, we have the familiar story of Cornelius and Peter. And I just want to make this story fairly brief. But I, when it opens up, when chapter 10 opens up, we read this about Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man. He feared God with all of his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. He's a Gentile. He prayed continually to God. In fact, when he's testifying before Peter, later on in the chapter, he actually says that. He says, on the day this happened, at the ninth hour, I was praying. Now, just a couple of verses into chapter 10, we see that Peter was also praying. It says, as they were on their way down, the next day as they were on their way down to Joppa, they were approaching the city, and Peter went on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, I make those references, and the, and the way I categorize this in my handout here is that I think these people were just praying as a part of their lives. There was nothing special. It wasn't like anything specific. It wasn't like Cornelius was like, oh, I really need something right now. Now, maybe he, I mean, it doesn't say that. Maybe he was. But I can tell you, I don't think Peter was because Peter had no idea this was coming. Right? Peter didn't know that. He wasn't like some inkling like, oh, man, God's about to do something great. I'm going to pray. He was just living his life. So it tells me that that was part of his life. That was part of what he was doing. He said, hey, we're here. I'm waiting for food to be made. I'm going to go up on the housetop. I'm going to start praying. I'm telling you, this stuff, like it should jump out to us and should, for me, reveal, and maybe to you, reveal how my life is not like that. How it's not just this pattern of my life that every spare moment I have, hey, here's a place that I can pray. Here's a time that I can worship God. It doesn't tell us what Peter was praying about. It doesn't tell us he was crying out and saying, God, I need you in some way. It just says Peter went to the housetop and he started praying. He said, this is an appropriate time. This is an occasion because I'm supposed to pray in all circumstances, on all occasions, with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance for all the saints. And so he said, here's the chance I have. Lunch is being made, I can pray. I see this as part of their life, and I see that this is probably putting its finger on maybe where we lack so much, because we are so sufficient, we're so comfortable, we're so capable, we have all this stuff, we have all this money, we, have all the, we can do all these things, and we just don't have these habits in our lives, most of us. 
It's just a part of his life. Let's move on. Herod doesn't like Peter, doesn't like James. No surprise there, he sticks Peter in prison. And I see this about the church. I love this verse in chapter 12, verse 5. As Peter was being put in prison, we see that the church was making earnest prayer for him to God. They were praying for those being persecuted. They were praying for those who were suffering. They were praying for those who were being opposed. They were praying for those who were paying the price for their faith. And I'm telling you, that's something that we ought to be called to. There's all kinds of suffering happening, all kinds of levels in all kinds of places. But I see that the church thought it was worth. Now, this is one of their leaders, so maybe that you can say, well, it's close to home. And it may be. So sometimes when the suffering's close to home, you get it. And, and I think you, this church, again, I, this is not a correction of all of you because this church prays. But I see that the church knew that when there was rub coming, when there was someone suffering, they made earnest prayer to God. They cried out to God. Now, we saw, you can, again, you can read those stories. It's just what's happened. As you come to chapter 13, we now shift the focus not to Jerusalem, but to Antioch, and we have the church there in Antioch. And by the way, do you suppose that when they were, uh, it says in verse 2 that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. It doesn't use the word praying. I'm sure that prayer was involved, but it doesn't use the word praying. In fact, it very specifically uses the word that's not praying. It, it, it's more of the idea that they were in a worship service. That they, uh, the, it's actually the base word for where we get the word liturgy. Um, but they were, uh, they were worshiping the Lord, and then the Holy Spirit said, set apart for us Barnabas and Saul. And look what they did. Look what they did. It says they, after fasting and praying some more, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Again, there's a whole message here. I can't, I mean, this is, this, I mean, this is such high-level stuff. But let, take this list and go back and read these stories and let it roll through you what they were doing and what it might mean for Riverview. All the ways and places and times that they responded by saying, this is a time to pray. This is a time to worship God. This is a time to depend upon him. This is a time for us to pray. As Paul went on his missionary journeys, we're gonna just, uh, we're gonna start flying through the book of Acts. As they, he, they went on their missionary journeys in chapter 14, we see that he's planting churches and when he does that, he appoints elders and leaders to take over that church and when they do that, they pray for them. It says that in 14 verse 23. When they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting. Man, do you see how often that goes together, by the way? Prayer and fasting. Oh. They, they gathered together, they, they put, they, and with fair, prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they were appointing elders, they were, they were appointing leaders, they were, they were saying, this is, the, we're, we're handing this off to you, and the way to hand it off is we're going to fast, we're going to pray, we're going to, it doesn't say they laid their hands on them, I suspect they probably did. As they keep on going, they run into more complications. But this time, instead of from the church's perspective, we're going to look at the people inside the persecution perspective. We read, I put in my hand up that in difficult circumstances, and I kind of underlined it here because, and I put a little smiley face because I'm pretty sure we would all agree that being in jail, facing perhaps the, your life, is a pretty difficult circumstance, right? Maybe a little more difficult than most of what most of us face. We might think our life is kind of rough sometimes, but I'm suggesting they were in a little bit different situation, a little more difficult than what we often have. And what do we see them doing? About midnight, it says Paul and Silas were doing what? They were praying and singing. By the way, not deasis praying, not, not intercession, not, not begging, not petition praying. They were prosuke praying. They were worship praying. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And of course, you know the outcome of that story as well. That's not what this is about, but it's, it helped you see that in difficult circumstances, they worshiped, they prayed, they sang. Later on in Paul's life, as he's, as he's in Corinth, and uh, presumably is uh, 
a little worried or is a little feeling a little discouraged because of what Jesus says to him. It says that Jesus came one night in a vision. Now, I want to be, be forthright here. This does not use the word prayer specifically, but in every other instance I could find in the book of Acts as I flip through it, in every, every other instance where a vision happened, where there's some kind of vision going on, it was, it was, there it was stated they were praying. So I'm going to make the, I don't think it's a bold assumption, but I'm going to make the assumption that when Paul, when this happened, that Paul was praying. That's why it happened. He was praying. So the Lord came to Paul one night in a vision. He said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. So I see that when they were discouraged or they were afraid, they prayed. You see how every reason, every opportunity, every, no matter what's going on, good, bad, scary, ugly, everywhere in between, their response is, hey, I should worship God. Hey, I should pray to him. This is the point I'm trying to make with the sermon. I'm guessing you already have it, but we're going to keep on going. I see that as Paul was making his journey back to uh, Jerusalem, and he knew, and, and it became increasingly obvious that he was heading to a place that wasn't going to end well for him, uh, and, and he was meeting with the Ephesian elders. He didn't go to Ephesus. He meet, meets them in Miletus, and he has this, this sort of this exhortation, closing exhortation with them, and it says these beautiful and yet painful words at the end of that encounter. It says that when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Uh, you, would, you could see that there was sorrow. If you would read the verses around there, there, there was uh, sorrow. They embraced him. They kissed him. They were sorrowful because he had said that you're not going to see me again. I see, and I categorize it this way, that he was sealing his fellowship. He was saying, we're united with you. I, I poured out into you, and you're not going to see me again, but I'm with you. We're together. We're, 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 we're doing the same thing for Jesus. As he, and that's, that was the exhortation he had given them, that you would continue to, to preach and continue to, to give the whole counsel of God, and he commended them to God and all those things. But the prayer is what he said was, he saw was going to tie that together. He knelt with them, and he prayed with them. And just a couple of verses later, in the beginning of chapter 21, he again is interacting with people. He again finds out very obviously that when he's going to go to Jerusalem, it's not going to end well for him. They're begging him not to go. He goes anyway. He says, when the morning came, when their days were ended, they departed, went on their journey. And again, the last thing they did, it's how they said goodbye, friends. It's how they said goodbye to each other. They knelt down on the beach and prayed. Again, it's just so obvious to me they saw so many other opportunities for prayer than what you and I see. When's the last time when you had friends over in your house and then when they left, you said, hey, let's end, let, let me pray. Let's pray together before we walk out. Now, maybe some of you do that. I can tell you it's happened sometimes in my house, but there's also lots of times it hasn't. That's not a good statement about me, by the way. That's not me patting me on the back. That's me being honest with you that I am not in the place where these early believers were and that's not good. What a blessing to tie together your fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and to say goodbye in that way, to say, let's pray together. Let's thank the Lord. Let's worship him. Let's depend upon him. This was like, I mean, there's so much more to say about all this. There's so many more details in all this. And I knew it was going to be so hard not to talk about more of these things. But I felt strongly the whole week long that the point for us this morning, we're going to have to keep revisiting this, right? Because I'm fairly convinced that we're not convinced yet that prayer is the work. That when we want to see God do things, that the answer for us is prayer. To worship him and depend upon him. I'm fairly certain that we're not in that place yet as a church. I, we pray. I think we do a good job. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being harsh or critical. I'm just saying, 
I think we can grow. I don't think we're there yet. I think there's more that, that God wants to do inside of us if we're willing to give ourselves to him more. And again, I'm not even talking about like I'm looking for big fancy like there's going to be some huge events that's going to. No, I'm just saying in our own faithfulness, in our devotion to him, in all the hundreds of little things that we're to do every day to live with integrity before him, to live with righteousness and holiness before him, to truly care about each other. I do think, by the way, when that happens, God will use us to dramatically impact people around us because that's what God does. The goal is not the wonderful things. The goal is faithfulness, worship, and dependence upon our God. He takes care of the other details. Seek first the kingdom of God and all, and his right and righteousness, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well with the words that Jesus gave to us. I think we have room to grow, and this morning, though it may be a bit frustrating for me, maybe not as much for you, but we covered a lot of ground. We left a lot of questions unanswered. We left a lot of things that could have been dug into that we didn't this morning. But to give us a taste, a glimpse, to, to, to sort of take a step back and say, look at all the ways and all the circumstances that the church of Jesus Christ in these pages saw fit to worship God and depend on him, I think is instruction enough for us this morning. Because what remains is for us to say, that's where I want to move to the opposite of that is to say, I think I've got this under control myself. God, thank you so much for just the word that was given to us this morning, the, the, the high-level stuff. and just, I, I, My prayer is, God, that these things would not overwhelm us or be daunting to us, though they are daunting. The bar is high. But that they would encourage and exhort us and invite us to a deeper walk, a closer walk, a, a, more, a more intentional walk before you of just praying, of growing, of saying, I can spend more time praying. I can spend more time fasting. I have many more opportunities and occasions in my life where I should be praying. And to say, I want to do that. I want, I want, to, I want to grow. I want to be faithful. I want to make it obvious to me, to my family, to my church family, to anyone around me. I want to make it obvious that I depend upon you, God, that I worship you. Thank you. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.